Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Today we talk to Unifor's president about pickets around farm fuel supply locations and we have co-op's response. Five centres are being picketed today in Saskatchewan. The chair of Sask Wheat talks about seeding, COVID-19 and China's huge tariff on Australian barley. Control of pests in canola is featured in the Real Agriculture Radio Report. We look at the bee kill-off over winter and the latest stats can farm income report for 2019. And we have an interesting feature from CN Rail on grain loading terms at port. The farm weather is in its usual spot at the bottom of the hour. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by the Candiac Auction Mart. To consign your cattle, call them today at 424-2967. And Canadian Hail Agencies, providing you hail insurance for 25 years. Contact your broker today to see why Canadian hail adjusters are voted the best in the industry. Locked-out Unifor Co-op refinery workers are picketing at five rural farm fuel locations around the province today. Unifor local president Kevin Bittman says the 730 workers have been off the job since December 5th. He says the latest job action is to push management to reach a new deal with the workers. He says a picket has been set up at Stenon, north of Kenora. Well, it's just to inform the drivers of, that we're still locked out and that they're crossing a legal picket line. Uh, to get their fuel and explaining to them where we're at in our lockout and that, uh, you know, it's went on long enough and it's time for it to end. How long will farmers have to wait to pick up their fuel? Well, we don't have a, we don't have a set time limit, so it's just a matter of how, communicating our message to them, however long that takes, um, and then once we're done that, they get to go through. So there is no we're in predetermined time or anything that we're stopping them. So if, you know, the farmer wants to talk or the truck driver wants to talk, then it could be a little longer. Um, if he doesn't really, then we just give him the information and, and away he goes. So, But everybody will be getting their fuel, yeah. How many of these have you held so far? Because I know you put out a press release, I think, a couple weeks back that uh, you were going to be doing this disrupting farm fuel pickup. How many of these have you had? Well, um, so we were in uh, Elfrost last week. Um, we were in Southie and Moose Jaw yesterday. And today we're in uh, Stenon, Porcupine Plain, uh, Porter Ellis, and Meacham, and as well as Selby today. So you, there'll be five, six locations, or five locations today. Do you feel these are effective in getting your point across? Well, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I, it's really, that's all we have, um, you know, to do is, is you know, to educate people on where, why we're still locked out. So, you know, um, walking back and forth at the refinery, you get the same trucks. So, you know, we took it to the rural community to hope to get the message out to some farmers and stuff about, you know, what the lockout's about and how, you know, we've offered pretty much everything that the company's asked for and uh, we still are locked out. So, you know, it's time for the Federated to put a fair deal on the table that gets everybody back to work with a return to work. Kevin, are you, are you not worried about loss of public support, though, by disrupting this farm? Well, I think, I think when you talk about public support, you know, the only thing that we have for leverage is to try and get, uh, you know, educate some people of what's going on. And right now, for whatever reason, uh, people don't know what the truth is. And they still think that it's about, you know, us wanting more. And we have never been greedy in this in this dispute. Um, we've offered to pay into our pension. We've offered to give up part of our pension. Um, we've offered everything, pretty much gave it to the company $20 million a year, and we still don't have a deal. So, And I don't think that that message is getting out there. So that's what we're trying to do is get that message out to the people in the, in the rural communities. Farm leaders have expressed disappointment with Unifor for picketing efforts which disrupt farm fuel pickup at a critical time for spring seeding. 
Federated Co-op Communications Manager Cam Zimmer says these are bulk distribution terminals and there won't be any customers who will need to cross the picket line. Right across the West, we have a large and extensive network of corporate fuel bulk plants and card locks, and we have the highest supply of fuel and fuel inventory in co-op's history right now. So um, we are more than able to continue supplying farmers through spring seeding, and we have been supplying them just fine throughout this, this whole time period. Uh, of course, we would question Unifor's approach in this case, threatening the fuel supply to farmers that are already dealing with trying to harvest last year's crop and get seed in the ground this spring. But in practical terms, we're doing a really good job right across co-op of using this all-time supply of fuel, all-time high supply of fuel that we have in our extensive distribution network to make sure that farmers are getting the fuel they need. These pickets, are they at bulk distribution terminals where farmers won't have to actually go into anyway? Do you just use big semis to move that fuel out to smaller centers? Yeah, so these are bulk uh, fuel plants or terminals uh, where Unifor is picking outside of. And so these are only accessed by co-op fuel trucks from local co-ops that fuel up there and then distribute that fuel to their sites or to farm customers. So there are actually no direct impacts to farmers um, and farmers wouldn't be using any of these sites that have been picketed over the past few weeks here. Do you care to comment on the dispute itself and where you see it going? Uh, yeah, like I mentioned, um, we certainly question the, re the approach that Unifor is taking right now of, of targeting farmers. Um, they've made the claim that they have no other choice but to take these actions. But the fact of the matter is they do have a choice, and that choice is to accept our best and final offer. Uh, the offer we made and the total compensation that we provide in it exceeds all other refineries in Canada, and, and they've chosen to reject that for even more in what is really troubled times right now in the economy. So that's where we stand right now, and really we just want to reassure producers across the province and across the prairies that we have strong plans in place to protect their fuel, and we're continuing to fuel them throughout this and we'll make sure that they get fuel they need through spring seeding. Cam Zimmer is the communications manager for Federated Co-op. Back in a moment. Seeding is winding down in a number of areas, including Brett Halstead's farm in the Nokomis area, about 135 kilometers northwest of Regina. He's hoping to finish up in the next day or so, and he is looking for moisture. Yeah, we definitely could use a shot. We're on some sandier soils here and um, lighter land, and you know, in general, it's just drying out on top now. Halstead says seeding has been steady. Yeah, we've had a good run here. Um, obviously, other than a little bit of wind, like I said, it's a little tough to keep the sprayer ahead of the drill some days. But other than that, things have gone pretty good. Uh, some of the guys in the area are wrapping up now, and uh, most everybody else can at least see the ants. Harlstead says some farmers in the area had to harvest wheat and canola this spring, and he says there was a wide range of crop quality. He says COVID-19 had not had a big impact on his farm. There's some inconveniences where somebody wants to bring supplies out to your vehicle or something, uh, but other than that, really, there's been no problems getting what we need. Halstead farms in the Nokomis area and is also chair of the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. The number of trade disputes between countries continues to grow. 
with the latest being an 80% tariff imposed by China on Australian barley. We saw it when the Americans and the Chinese had a trade dispute there. We thought, well, you know, that might actually not be that bad for Canada. But any time there's poor undertones in the trade market, it, it seems to affect the price in general. And, you know, it's, you know, yeah, we might get a few sales here and there, but in the meantime, the price has dropped. So I don't know if we end up gaining a whole lot. So I just think in general, when trade flows normally and smoothly, it's much better for all participants. China's massive tariff on Australian barley is seen as punishment for advocating an investigation into the coronavirus pandemic. Back in a moment. Time now for Real Agriculture with Sean Haney on The Source, 620 CKRM. This is your Real Agriculture Update brought to you by the Mind Your Farm Business podcast. Stay on top of farm management issues year-round at mindyourfarmbusiness.com. I have here today with me Gregory Seklich, who is an agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada. So we are here today talking about economic thresholds now when it comes to both insects and uh, disease, just spraying in general. And what are some of your tips, I guess, when it comes to economic thresholds? Uh, I guess first and foremost, I I would never, ever tell uh, producers or or anyone not to apply pesticides. Uh, They are obviously uh, a hugely vital tools in in modern food production and and we are are, are quite dependent on them my, my only request um, and and our only request like I should, should say is that when the decision is made to apply a pesticide be it a, a fungicide or an insecticide or, or even a herbicide uh, is, is have some sort of a decision matrix involved in in, in making that uh, making that decision uh, don't just go spraying because you have uh, the system that can apply the product and absorb the the, the pesticide and, and, and thrive. Um, really do pay attention to those to those economic thresholds, and they, and they do largely exist for you know all of um, well all of all of our insect species, pest species for sure. Uh, some are, are are more nominal that are more based on on the, the researcher's experience and 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 damage caused by by these insects, uh, but also you know, peer-reviewed down to the amount of uh, material that one insect will consume and then worked backwards into uh, the, the, the cost-benefit of, of applying an insecticide. Uh, but they also exist for weeds. So we, we do have economic thresholds for weeds. They, they go back um, a, a number of years now, but um, in, in terms of individual and, and specific weeds, and that's, this is going back to the early part of my career now, where uh, the, the economic threshold for, for wild oats in, in wheat was, was something like nine per square meter or something, and, and nine wild oats per square meter uh, looks like an absolute disaster from, from the road. And I don't, I don't think anybody would, would ever not spray an infestation of, of that level, but, um, but, but really, uh, the, 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 the pursuit towards extremely clean and weed-free fields is uh, is actually wasting a, a pretty substantial amount of money, and depending on when these applications are made, uh, could be compromising yield more than the weeds that they're removing. Uh, so going back into like Agriculture Canada work, that's um, again from from my time as an undergrad and and my early years as an as an agronomist. Um, the messaging was that the, uh, the the damage done by weeds that emerge before the crop 
are, are, are far more damaging than weeds that emerge even, even three weeks after the crop. And, uh, my friend Neil Harker once told me that, and we actually use that in our uh, canola watch, that uh, two weeds that emerge a week before the crop are do more damage than 100 weeds that emerge uh, two weeks after the crop. So the, the, the drive and the push towards completely weed-free fields is, is in many cases, well, wasting wasting money on applications that just really aren't aren't required. Uh, but also those those extra applications of a product that we're making increase the selection pressure for resistance. So the more times we apply a product, uh, the the increase we have a, a pretty directly increased risk of of seeing resistance to those products. So again, um, uh, for, first and foremost, the, uh, the the data that are out there are are, are quite good. And I really do support the, uh, the decision-making process. And, that's, and that is, again, what we're asking is uh, don't, don't be blanket spraying just because you have a machine and, and a shed full of chemical. Uh, make sure that the need is there and, uh, and the, uh, the, the cost benefits it. And, of course, that uh, we don't do it just because the neighbor across the road is doing it as well. Yes. Um, so how, how do producers start with this? Uh, so if they look at developing a matrix, how, how do they go about doing that? Uh, well, for insects, it's extremely straightforward. Uh, so uh, scouting, A, make sure the pest is there. Um, that's first and foremost. If the pest isn't there, any application made is an absolute waste of money. Uh, uh, two, make sure that that pest is there in enough numbers to warrant the, the application of the insecticide. And remember, the economic threshold is the point where the cost of application is, is basically equal to the cost of uh, the damage that's, that's being done. It's not a money-making venture. It, it's literally where the, where the cost is the same. So when, when producers uh, back in my agronomy days would be would be worried and, and, and freaking out because they're at economic threshold or nearing them, I, I would personally have been sleeping fine because to, to my mind, spending $15 in July to see $15 return in October or November doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, really want to be in excess of, of those numbers. This has been your Real Agriculture Update. You can find out more about this issue or many others at realagriculture.com. Whether you're out in the barns or working in the fields, you can stay on top of farm management issues with the Mind Your Farm Business Podcast. We talk about human resources. We can attract the right candidates and that doesn't have to come at a high cost. We cover succession planning. It doesn't matter if the next generation is ready if the senior generation isn't. We talk about financial management. Number one, profits is your kingdom. Number two, cash is king. You can find all episodes of the Mind Your Farm Business podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or mindyourfarmbusiness.com. The official 620 CKRM farm weather is brought to you by Raymore, Yorkton, and Watrous, New Holland. Get ready for seating with New Holland equipment from Raymore, Yorkton, and Watrous, New Holland. And brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina, specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan. Call Harry, Justin, or Devon at 352-1866. The 620 CKRM farm weather forecast, mainly cloudy with 60% chance of showers today, risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon and tonight, wind southwest 20, the high 23, the low 8. Wednesday, partly cloudy, wind west 40, gusting to 60, the high 20, the low 6. Thursday, sunny, the high 19, the low 5. Friday, increasing cloudiness, the high 20, the low 10. Saturday, clearing with the high 24, the low 12. Sunday, partly cloudy, the high 29, the low 14. Monday, partly cloudy, the high near 27 degrees. Normal high is 21, the normal low is 6. The sun rose at 4.57 this morning. It sets at 8.54 tonight. And around the province, the hot spot is Hudson Bay up in the northeast corner. 
at 25 degrees. The cold spot, Collins Bay up north at 3. Estevan is 22. Swift Current is 18. Saskatoon, 17. Weyburn, 20. Yorkton is 23. In Regina with cloudy skies, it's 20. That's 68 Fahrenheit. Winds are from the west, southwest, 17. Gusting to 27. Humidity is 50%. The barometer dropping 100.8. Cloudy in Moose Jaw, 18 degrees. Winds are from the west, southwest, 18. Gusting to 30. Once again, Regina, cloudy in 20. That's 68 Fahrenheit. Back in a moment. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by McDougall Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougall Auctioneers. McDougallAuctions.com And SMHI Crop Hail Insurance at Cost. Online or connect with an agent. Storms are unpredictable. SMHI isn't. SMHI.ca Realized net farm income rose in most provinces last year with the exception of Saskatchewan and Manitoba. The national net realized farm income number was up 10.4% last year, the first increase in three years. However, that's due in large part to cannabis sales, which are included under crop receipts. Cannabis sales were legalized in October 2018. In Saskatchewan, the increase in cannabis sales was dwarfed by lower canola receipts. Realized net farm income is the difference between a farmer's cash receipts and operating expenses, minus depreciation plus income in kind. In Saskatchewan last year, realized net farm income declined by $311 million, or 16% from 2018. Canola prices fell 9.8% in 2019 in the wake of Chinese import restrictions. Despite lower prices, canola marketings rose 2.7% as domestic crush reached record high and lower prices boosted exports to other countries. Durham was a bright spot with sales rising 22% last year, Production shortfalls in other parts of the world led to increased export demand for high-quality Canadian Durham. If it weren't for higher cannabis sales, national revenues for all other crops would have declined by 1%. National livestock receipts rose 5.1% following a very small decline in 2018. Farm operating expenses increased 5.7% last year, with just under half traced back to cannabis production. Winter kill losses were severe for some Saskatchewan beekeepers, while others did better than usual. A survey of beekeepers is being conducted, so there's no firm numbers yet. But provincial apiculturalist Jeff Wilson provides his best estimate. I'm guessing on average we'll probably be in the 25%, maybe 30% range for loss, which is higher than normal. We have some really high losses uh, in the 70-80% range. We also have some fantastic results in the 10 kind of percent range. Wilson talks about where the heavier losses occurred. Basically the northern areas where we keep the honeybees did worse than more southern areas and a lot of it was for how long the bees were locked in during this spring but with poor cold conditions in the south they got out a little earlier were able to uh, relieve themselves after holding all winter long and uh, so it just stressed them up in the north a little further. There are about 120 commercial beekeepers in Saskatchewan, most which have more than 500 colonies. This segment of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Degelman Industries. Look to Degelman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered tough equipment on the market. And the Remax Ground Realty Ag Team of Marcel DeCorby and Graham Toth. Online at landforsalesask.ca. CN Rail has provided an interesting insight into loading terms for prairie grain at port. CN's Director of Sales and Marketing, David Shednovic, outlines various rules for loading Canadian grain at the West Coast. 
He highlights the start of the clock for a grain vessel that arrives at port. Before vessels in all respects ready to load, it must pass inspections, including a Canadian Food Inspection Agency inspection for cargo hold cleanliness, a port warden inspection, as well as have an approved cargo loading plan. Vessels may fail inspections at times and may need repairs or additional cleaning before they're approved for loading. A vessel's notice of readiness is generally tendered within regular business hours, and once a valid NOR is tendered, lay time for grain generally starts to count the next morning. Now, if a vessel comes into port before the agreed shipment window, the clock does not start either. The vessel needs to be presented for loading when the charterer and the vessel owner agreed that that would happen. Shidnovic was asked about lay time and time allowed for loading a grain ship at the West Coast. In a voyage charter, lay time refers to the amount of time allowed for cargo to be loaded onto or unloaded from a vessel. If the lay time is exceeded, demurrage applies, and if the charterer loads before the lay time is all used up, despatch applies. Now we'll get into that later. The charterer and vessel owner or operator agree up front as to how fast the load rate guarantee per day will be and what the loading terms are including when lay time counts or doesn't count. Generally speaking, load terms for grain out of Canada are on a Satchex EIU basis, which means that Saturdays, Sundays and holidays are excluded even if used. For a Panamax, the load rate guarantee itself is generally 8,000 to 9,000 metric tons per day. That is not the same as how fast the grain is actually loaded onto the ship. And remember that grain is a weather working cargo so time not available for loading because of rain or other inclement weather is excluded from lay time. Now compare that to coal, for example. Rain is a non-factor during loading and the load terms are a lot simpler. Generally, weekends and holidays are included as part of lay time and time counts in the rain. Those are shink terms. Plus, load rate guarantees are way faster, pushing 20 to 25,000 metric tons per day. Shidnovic explains how those factors affect loading time. So during the rainy winter months and taking into account all that time that does not count as lay time, a Panamax vessel loading grain with a load rate of 8,000 per day would be looking at a minimum of 11.5 to 12 days on average before demurrage kicks in, if not more. To do that math, take the total quantity of grain to be loaded, divide by the load rate and multiply by a factor of 1.5 to 1.6. In the non-rainy season, the factor is more like 1.35. Now that compares to three or four days before demurrage kicks in for a coal vessel with a load rate of 20 to 25,000 on shink terms. Much faster. Shidnovic explains how vessel demurrage rates are determined. So a demurrage rate is made up of two components. The anticipated value of the vessel in the market, plus the cost of fuel consumed while in port. A Panamax, for example, is burning three tons of fuel per day running generators while idle compared to over 30 tons per day when sailing. So today a Panamax vessel for a spot round voyage in the Pacific is maybe worth $8,500 US per day. So add in the fuel consumed in port, running generators and such, and with shifting, and you're looking at a demerge rate of $10,000 per day. But that spot rate is not the same as what would have been agreed to two or three months ago when the market was firmer. The vessel owner and charterer may have agreed to a maximum demerge rate to be in line with market rates at the time the performing vessel is nominated for loading or a minimum maximum range along those same lines. Now that could put you somewhere in the mid-teens today. Shidnovic explains how demurrage and dispatch are calculated. So demurrage kicks in when the amount of time allowed for loading is exceeded. And if a vessel is loaded faster than the terms agreed, the company that booked the vessel gets paid dispatch, usually at half the rate of demurrage. If not chartering the vessel directly, grain companies guarantee load rate and terms to their buyer in their sales contract. If time allowed for loading was 12 days, and lay time used was 15, 
then three days of demurrage would be payable to the owner by the charterer. If time used was ten days, then two days of dispatch would be payable by the owner to the charterer, normally at half the rate of demurrage. And over the course of a crop year, a significant number of vessels are loaded well within the lay time allowed at the West Coast. David Shadnovic is the Director of Sales and Marketing for CN Rail. Market Update is brought to you by Scott Bjornson of Hall is Wealth. For more information or to book a free consultation, call 1-800-284-9999. And brought to you by Nelson GM, Assiniboia and Avonlea. If you are a Costco member, get huge savings on current 2019 and 2020 SUVs right now. Grain prices were mixed in early trading today. Viterra's prices for canola rose $2 at 4.29.78. Oats gained 76 cents at 2.59.01. Number one red spring wheat declined $1.67 at $220.93. The rest were unchanged. Durham 2.66.39. Feed barley 193.71. Flax 6.29.79. Lentils 6.38.50. Yellow peas, two eighty five eighty nine, and feed wheat, $182.70. On the Minneapolis Grain Exchange this morning, July spring wheat rose three and a quarter cents at five sixteen a bushel. The livestock quotes are brought to you by the Assiniboia and Weyburn Livestock Auctions. Call Assiniboia, 642-4180 or Weyburn, 842-4574. And brought to you by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamps Integritire in Grenfell your locally owned Integra Tire dealers. Now, the latest livestock quotations. This is the market report for the Weyburn Livestock Exchange for the week of May 26. The market has come back up. D1 and D2 cows sold from 75 cents to 85 cents. D3 cows sold from 60 cents to 75 cents. Good butcher bulls sold from $1.10 to $1.24. We didn't have enough steers to establish an, a quotation, but we did have some heifers. 600 to 650 pound heifers averaged $1.00. 66 and sold up to a dollar 70 650 to 700 pound heifers averaged a dollar 74 and sold up to a dollar 78 700 to 800 pound heifers averaged a dollar 62 and sold up to a dollar 66 and 800 to 900 pound heifers averaged a dollar 55 and sold up to a dollar 65 this has been stephanie digg reporting from the weyburn livestock exchange the market that gets cattle and the prices too now the latest Saskatchewan pork prices. Ham sold 7,300 hogs Monday, selling in a range of 166 to 198 per CKG. Today's sales are expected to be around 7,500 head, selling in a range of 162 to 194 per CKG. Ham's number one sows this week are selling in the range of 20 to 26 cents per pound live weight. Ham's cash hog price today is down, and forward contract prices opened higher this morning. On Monday, the Canadian dollar was up 16 basis points, with the daily exchange rate at 1.3984. The Canadian dollar is currently trading at 72.52 cents U.S. U.S. cash reference markets are lower to start the U.S. holiday shortened week. Western Corn Belt is $1.51 lower. Iowa Southern Minnesota formula is lower by a dime. And the national reference price is down by $1.29 U.S. 100 weight. While hog plants are starting to ramp production back up in the U.S., and that the ramp-up phase so far appears to be beating earlier projections, plant utilization is still not at 100%. Additionally, as hogs become became backed up, higher weights are being realized. The ongoing backup of live supplies will likely keep the pressure on negotiated prices in the short to mid-terms. Coming up, the Resource Report. This is the Saskatchewan Resource Report on 620 CKRM. Here's Jim Smalley. Now the Resource Report. 
Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebeau has announced an investment of up to $9.2 million to enhance the youth employment and skills program. She says the program will fund up to 700 new positions for youth in the agriculture industry. Bebeau says the federal support will help the agriculture industry attract Canadian youth aged 15 to 30 to assist with labour shortages brought on by the pandemic. The program will provide youth with job experience in agriculture to provide career-related work experience. The program will provide agricultural employers up to 50% of the cost of hiring a Canadian youth up to $14,000. Indigenous applicants and those hiring youth facing barriers are eligible for funding of up to 80% of their costs. Eligible applicants include farmers, agribusiness, industry associations, provincial governments, indigenous organizations and research facilities. Employers may apply for the funding retroactive to April 1st this year, with projects to be completed by March 31st of next year. On the markets, gains in the financial sector helped lift Canada's main stock index in late morning trading, while U.S. stock markets surged higher. The TSX Composite Index was up 40 points at 15,116. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 673 points at 25,138. The Canadian dollar traded for 72.48 cents U.S. compared with 71.51 cents on Monday. The July crude oil contract was up 42 cents at $33.67 per barrel. And that's the Resource Report. Stay tuned for the closing grain prices at 145 this afternoon and an Agri-News report at 345 p.m. Tomorrow morning, there's another Agri-News report at 6.45 a.m. That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. I'm Jim Smalley. Good afternoon and good farming.